1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, once again, this is Paul addressing the church at Corinth and some of the mature believers had written him a letter addressing the, uh, the subject of eating meat that had been offered up to idols. And we've been unpacking that for the past two or three weeks. But he gives in chapter 10 several different warnings uh, to these strong believers. Now, you've got to remember, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's primarily addressing these strong believers in the church at Corinth that had been eating this food that was offered up to idols. And they knew that the food was nothing. It was just food. They knew idols were nothing. There was only one God. They referenced all of that in the scripture. But Paul was talking about the fact that if he would make, in chapter 8, that if it would, anything that would make our brother stumble or fall, that he would not partake of it. And so that's kind of the warning, the direction that he's given the strong believers, the mature believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And he gives them three specific warnings. We've already unpacked them, but I want to spend a little time on the last warning once again. But the first warning we see in verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> that he warned that privileges were no guarantee of success. He used as, um, as an example the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and, uh, and going to the promised land. The second warning that he gave is, is verse 5 down through verse number 12. And this is where he warned them that uh, good beginnings do not necessarily guarantee good endings. Sometimes it may not end the way we initially start, that we can be sidetracked. And once again, he gave several different examples uh, in that passage of Scripture. And that's where I encourage you last week to go look up all these references back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, and so forth and so on. All the ones that he mentions coming down through those verses. We get to verse number 14 through verse number 22. And that's where, once again, I want to unpack a little bit more of this... um, of this last warning, he warns them that God can enable us to overcome temptation if we heed to his word. And then his word, he gives a reference of his word a little bit later here. But look, if you will, in verse number 14, it says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Uh, And last week I shared with you the statement that uh, that uh, was impressed of the Lord a couple weeks ago and wrote it down for this particular study. The statement says this, the believer who thinks he stands may fall, but the believer who flees will never fall. Okay? And it's talking about when you're in that situation. And here Paul says that they are to flee, he says in verse 14, idolatry. He tells us back in chapter 6, verse 18, which we've already studied, he says flee fornication. And here he's telling them to flee idolatry. So Paul is saying there's some things we need to separate ourselves from. There's some things we need to flee from so that we do not stumble and fall. Let's continue reading. He says in verse 15, I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For all of us share that one bread. And look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? Here he uses for an example of what we're involved in. We become a part of it. And here he uses the Lord's Supper, communion, that we all take here at Victory Church as believers and Christians. He said, whenever we are taking of the bread or of the cup, We are one body. We're having that fellowship one with another. And he's referencing them sitting at these idols or these temples of idols at their tables eating that meat. And he goes on and talks about it. He says in verse number 19, he says, what am I saying then? 
that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? And he says in verse 20, he answers the question. He says, no, but I say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And he says, I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And here it sounds real familiar to the passage of scripture that Paul uses over in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Where once again Paul is addressing the doctrine of separation. He's saying, listen, if you're sitting at a table that in this in this pagan temple where they're offering up these meat uh, or these sacrifices to these to these pagan gods. And you remember, he says there's only uh, there's God. And then, of course, there's demons. There's Satan. I mean, there's only one of the two as 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 people that are born into this world. We go to one of two places. We either go to heaven or to hell. So Paul is saying right here, you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping the devil. You're either fellowshipping with God at the table of communion that's recognizing the, the death of, and, and uh, the bodily death of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're sitting and having fellowship with those that are worshiping demons. And what he's saying is the demons, I mean, the idol isn't nothing, the meat isn't nothing, but separate yourself from it because what you're a part of, you're having fellowship with and you're identifying with that particular whatever it is that you're sitting down being a part of. So that's the point that he's trying to bring out in that particular scripture. And then, once again, this is directed to the strong believers at the church at Corinth. And look what he says in the very last verse, verse 22. He says, are we stronger than he? He's asking a question. Are we stronger than the Lord? Are we stronger than God? Are we able to put ourselves in situations that, that, that we're as strong as God and it doesn't affect us whatsoever? No, we're not. None of us are. are. If you remember back in the scripture we've been covering in the weeks coming into this, we've been talking about how we need to take heed lest we fall. Pay attention to what we're involved in lest we stumble and fall. So today I want to try to unpack a little bit the doctrine and the teaching of Christian separation. And as I introduce this subject, I want to read to you just a little bit from the writings of Warren Wearsby. And he's talking about an appeal for separation. Matter of fact, turn in your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians. And this is really what Paul is encouraging the believers at Corinth to do, is to separate themselves from these idols and from this temple, uh, pagan temple worship. Look what he says in verse number 14, chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. He says, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I would dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Here once again, Paul is referencing 
the doctrine of separation that really we see all through the Old Testament and we see it taught as well in the New Testament. Now, there's some misunderstandings about this doctrine in our day. Uh, matter of fact, there's some abuse that takes place, I believe, spiritually uh, in a lot of churches with this doctrine of separation. But let me share with you what Warren Wearsby had to say about this, and then I'll get into some things I want to share with you. He says this, It's unfortunate that the important doctrine of separation has been misunderstood and abused in recent years, for it is an essential truth. Some sincerely zealous Christians have turned separation into isolation until their fellowship has become so narrow that they cannot even get along with themselves. How many have been involved with that group of people? I certainly have in the past. In reaction to, to this extreme position, other believers have torn down all the walls and will fellowship with anybody, regardless of what he believes or how he lives. While we applaud their desire to practice Christian love, we want to remind them that even Christian love must exercise discernment, according to Philippians chapter number 1. He goes on, he, he references a lot of different things, but then he gets to the command of Scripture that I just read to you in verse number 17. Look what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. This is the Lord speaking to his people. He says, Therefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord. Once again, allow me to read a paragraph or two from Dr. Warren Wearsby on this particular verse. The major part of this quotation is from Isaiah 52:11, but there are also echoes of Ezekiel 20 and 34 and 41 there. The reference in Isaiah is to the captive nation leaving Babylon and returning to their own land. But the spiritual application is to the separation of the people of God today. God commands his people to come out, which implies a definite act on their part. Be ye separate. Suggests devotion to God for a special purpose. Separation is not just a negative act of departure. It's also a positive act of dedication to God. We must separate from sin and unto God. Touch not the unclean thing is a warning against defilement. The Old Testament Jew was defiled if he touched a dead body or the issue from a festering uh, sore. Of course, Christians today do not co contract spiritual defilement uh, by touch, but the principle is the same. We must not associate with that which will compromise our testimony or lead us into disobedience. God's command of separation is found throughout Scripture. He warned Israel not to mingle with the pagan nations in the land of Canaan in Numbers 33. Yet they repeatedly disobeyed his word and were punished because of it. The prophets repeatedly um, pled with the people to forsake their heathen idols and devote themselves wholly unto the Lord. Finally, God had to send Israel into Assyria captivity and Judah into Babylonian captivity. Our Lord rejected the false separation of the Pharisees. But he did warn his disciples against the leaven or the false doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he prayed that they would be kept from the defilement of the world. The apostles in their letters to the churches also emphasized doctrinal and personal purity. The believer was in the world, but he must be careful not to become like the world. The church must also separate itself from those who reject the doctrine given by Christ and the apostles. Even in the book of Revelation, there is an emphasis on God's people being separated from that which is false and contrary to holy living. 
Last paragraph. In our desire for doctrinal and personal purity, we must not become so self-centered that we ignore the needy people around us and in our world. Our Lord has holy, harmless, I'm sorry, our Lord was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And yet, he was a friend of publicans and sinners. Like a skillful physician, we must practice contact without contamination. Otherwise, we will isolate ourselves from the people who need our ministry the most. I thought that was a good way to kind of wrap up or kind of sum up that verse We are to be separated from sin as believers. But it's not enough just to separate ourselves from something. We must also separate ourselves to God. Now we got to be careful that in this doctrine of separation, and I guess here is where I've seen it abused more than any other area, is that we have this spiritual, holier-than-thou mindset and attitude. I've seen the churches, I've seen the Christians, I've seen the believers have this this very pious mindset. Look what I do not partake of. Look how holy and spiritual I am. Well, to me, that's just... um, I don't think that's anywhere close to the heart of God when it's talking about Christian separation. Yes, we are to separate ourselves from sin. But we're to separate ourselves to God... And whenever we separate ourselves to God, we're going to have a heart and our heart is going to beat for the individuals that do not know Christ. And we're going to try our best to reach them and fellowship with them to a degree that we're not involved in the sin that they're doing or partaking of it. But we're not completely isolating ourselves from them, but we're there ministering to them. And by the way, the whole reason Victory Church exists is why? What's our reason for existence? Why do we do what we do? We, we unpack this in our deacons training meeting the other night. Why do we do what we do? To win souls for Christ. We don't do what we do so we can come here and worship. We don't do what we do so we can come here and do discipleship. We don't do what we do so we can come here and do fellowship or ministry. We'll be able to do all those things far greater in heaven than we could ever do it here. We're left here for one reason one reason only. That's to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and to reach those people that do not know Christ, to reach them and, and, and help them to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we got to be careful in the doctrine of separation. What does Christian separation mean? Whenever you hear that term, what does it mean? <clears throat> well, in the dictionary, it just simply means to be set apart. In the Bible, the word translated into separation or separate ourselves, it simply means to sanctify ourselves. Well, what does sanctification mean? Sanctification means to to set ourselves apart for a particular service, use of the Lord. For instance, you see this Yamaha keyboard up here that Terry plays every Sunday morning. In all true sense of the word, that Yamaha keyboard has been sanctified. Well, how's it been sanctified? Because I got a cup of water out of the city of Mascuda's water tap and sprinkled it and say it's sanctified. No, 
It became sanctified in the true sense of the world when it was separated for a particular purpose and use for God. Are you tracking with me? So therefore, it's sanctified. Now, that doesn't mean the instrument itself is, 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 I guess, the instrument itself is holy, but it's, it's set apart. That's what the doctrine of separa- separation is for all of us. That our lives be set apart for the use of the kingdom work of God. Once again, the doctrine of separation, we've got to remember, it's not about me. It's not about what I enjoy. It's not about what I like to do or what I don't like to do. It's, it's about pleasing God. And it's about being used of Him to be a witness, to be an influence, to be the light, to be the salt of the earth. Not that I'm any holier than anyone else. One thing I want you to remember, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom of God. We're all God's children. Do you agree with that statement? If we've accepted, when I say we all are, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are all God's children. The whole world is not all God's children. You've got you to gotta be born again into the family of God. And then we become the children of God. I guess I need to preface the statement I just made with that. I'm just assuming you know that, but I better not take anything for granted, okay? When we're born into the family of God, now we're all on the same level. We're sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters and heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's not any that are holier than others. We are at different spiritual levels. With our spiritual growth that's taking place. You know, that's one of the things that kind of bothers me a little bit with... Remember when the Pope came to town a few weeks ago? It's almost like the whole world stopped, or, or America did. And, and bowing down, you know, they made a big deal. I mean, the Pope kissed this baby... <laughs> Of this football players, did you guys see that on the news? I mean, walking through New York and, and he's coming and he saw this. But I guess it's pretty neat, pretty cool that the Pope kisses your baby. But you know what? He's just a man. And we got to realize Scripture says there's one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. Hello? So there's none, none that are, can set themselves apart and feel like they're holier than someone else. It's just the fact that we realize that life is not about me. That once I am born again into the family of God, my life now needs to be devoted and separated to the cause of Christ and living a life for for Him. Separation, let me get this. Separation is not, first and foremost, an outward act. It's an inward attitude of the heart. It's not physically abstaining from things. It's not like you accept Christ, you get a list of do's and don'ts, and you say, hey, you cannot do these things anymore. And therefore, I I just read my rules and my regulations and my list, and man, if I just don't do these things, I must be holy. No. You see, that's what the Pharisees were doing, if you remember. And Jesus said, oh, on the outside, you clean up pretty good, but your heart is desperately wicked and far from me. Remember when he said that to the Pharisees? Remember when he called them snakes and vipers and... I mean, just on and on and on. Why is it? He saw through what was taking place on the outside and he saw their heart. That's where true biblical separation takes place. It's in our heart. 
And now we don't want to do anything or go anywhere or be involved in anything that's going to hinder the cause of Christ or that may cause my brother or sister to stumble or fall into sin. Why? Because my heart's devoted to the kingdom work of God. and I love Him and I want to see His work uh, just move and see lives impact and change. I don't want there to be anything in my life that's going to hinder someone. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 8, very last verse. I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder someone else from coming to know Christ or that may offend them in their spiritual walk with the Lord. You know, there are some religious groups today that separate themselves and they're kind of looked on as our, in our world as just, just an, an, an odd duck. I mean, just something, they just don't fit in. I mean, you, you think about, i got to be careful right here, but you, you think about the Amish people. Now, I respect them for their religion and their beliefs and and how they hold on to those some of those primitive values. And you know what I'm saying here? But just the fact they separated themselves from, so they say, electricity. And then I go up there, and I've never been to Amish country until I moved here. You know, there's not many Amish people in the mountains of North Carolina. But when I moved here, I got pretty close to them. And I said, hey, let's go up. I want to see these folks and see what's going on. And kind of where I went, it almost turned into a a tourist attraction and there was all kind of you know at home there was no electricity but at the business you know so it kind of seemed like a double standard to me a little bit the the food is great but separating ourselves whether it be like the Amish or somebody else we just look completely like an odd duck in the world I don't think that's the principle that God has in mind when we're talking about Christian separation nor is he talking about how we can never be a part of the world Listen, guys, we live in this world, right? We witness to this world. We're to be the salt and salt of the earth and the light of the world to this world that we live in. And the analogy, the word picture that I'd like to use about us as Christians, believers, separating ourselves from the world is, is, is like this. It's like a ship on the sea. And that's okay as long as the water is outside the boat or outside the ship. But the problem comes when the water gets in the boat. Now the ship becomes the sea literally when it sinks and, and you can't even tell there's even a ship there. You see, like us walking around in this world and doing the things that we do, that's good. We need to be. We don't need, we don't need to isolate ourselves. We need to insulate ourselves. We don't need to separate ourselves to the point that we have no interaction with the world at all because that's where our ministry is. In all reality, right? Those are bridges that we need to be building over to, to people that we know that are in the world. And building those bridges to bring them over. So we got to be careful in this whole area. Let me give you a few examples of Christian separation. i only got about ten more minutes here. Here's a few examples. You remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is certainly a great example of, of an individual that separated himself for the cause of Christ. Now, if you, if you remember, you study the word, you'll find a lot about Paul's life. Matter of fact, in, in Philippians chapter 3, he gives a whole list of different things that he was involved in. And, and he was well-versed in Scripture. He knew the word of God. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a very religious man. Although, I want you to understand this, his religion was in his head and not in his heart. It was on his lips, not necessarily in his life. We got to be careful that we're not like that. You see, we can't just say, I'm not going to do those things and just get hard and cold and indifferent to the people of the world. 
But one day, Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. You remember the story, Acts chapter 9? The Lord approached him and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? And he said, Lord. At that moment, he fell on his knees and his face. He was blinded. He accepted Christ as his Savior. And the story goes on. What happened to Paul's life? He was changed. And things became different. And from that moment on, he separated his life to the cause of Christ. Another example of biblical separation is the prodigal son over in Luke chapter number 15. You remember the story, how he was there with his father in his father's house. And he said, you know what? I'm tired of all these, what's going on in this household. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go and spend it and have a good time, eat, drink, be merry. And of course, he goes out there and spends the entire inheritance, finds himself feeding the swine, eating with the swine. And he looks up and he comes to himself and he says, I'll go back to my father's house. And what happened? He went back to his father's house. The father received him. We call it the story of the prodigal son. Really, it's a story about the father. If you really go and unpack that whole story, it's a story about the father's love for his children, how it's unconditional. And it's our father's love for us, how it's unconditional. But something changes in this young man. And that's what we're talking about in this doctrine of separation. The change that takes place in our lifestyle and in our hearts and in our loves. You remember in Mark chapter 5, it's only referenced there. This is the maniac to Gadara. You remember him? He was a maniac, demon-possessed, lived in tombs, ran around naked, wild, just crazy. You find this story in Mark's gospel, chapter number 5. He met the Lord and immediately he was changed. He's no longer this wild man, this lunatic, this unclothed man, naked, running around. But the Bible says that after he meets Jesus... He clothes himself. He sits down at the feet of our Lord. And he's being taught. He's listening. What happened? His life was changed. There was the doctrine of Christian separation taking place in his his life. He was no longer the man that he used to be. The prodigal son was no longer the man that he used to be. The apostle Paul was no longer the religious leader Saul. He was now the apostle Paul. Their lives changed. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about biblical separation. So therefore, what are we to be separated from? And then who are we to be separated to? Well, some things we're to be separated from. We must be separated from, from sinful companions. Now, you've got to remember in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, the prophet of God said, Can two walk together except they agree? You can't be in fellowship with God in fellowship with the world. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. He's saying you can't sit at the table with demons and sit at the table with the Lord. You just can't do that. He also says in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve God and mammon. I mean, you've got to choose. And I'm going to close out my message this morning with, with Joshua. We've got to choose who we're going to serve. And Joshua said, as for the, this day, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we got to get back to that point. And even in our life, and I'm not saying you don't love those people that you used to hang out with all the time. You know, I got, I got some friends. As a matter of fact, two, two of my best friends that, that I ran with all the time through high school. And whenever I gave my heart to the Lord, I quit doing the things with them that I used to do. Like going out and partying and racing cars, which I still do that a little bit on the interstate. But I'll, I won't tell you much about that. But, but, but really, the, the whole thing of, of partying and doing all this stuff, I, when I gave my life to Christ, I said, you know what? I can't do that anymore. And I told the guy, I said, guys, listen, I love you. You're still my friend. I hope and pray that we can be friends. But I can't go. I, I just can't in my heart go and do those things anymore and be in a right standing. In my heart, I felt with God. And so they both kind of 
went their separate way. And it kind of broke my heart that we could not be friends any longer. But you know what happened to one of them? His name's Mark Best. You know what happened to him? He got saved. And now we interact all the time via email. And he, he listens to our podcast. We send him CDs of the sermons. And he's wanting to come up and visit our church. And now we have this communion, this fellowship again. This friendship. But I just wonder, would it have ever happened if there hadn't been some type of, not in a judgmental way, but in a very caring, concerned way of not separating ourselves? Can two walk together unless they agree? We've got to be separated from companions. Let me give you a list here. We've got to be separated from old sinful um, occupations. You know, sometimes the job or the career field that you may be involved in may be a very sinful career field. Hello? I would hope, I would hope as I ride through East St. Louis and I go over to St. Louis and I see off the interstate all the neon lots and I, I would hope if some of the girls, some of the men or bouncers, whoever that's involved in some of those strip joints, if they get saved, I hope they don't go back there and work the next day. Hello? I mean, some, some things are just sinful to be involved in. And if our career field that we're in is a sinful, worldly Career field that doesn't honor God, we ought to evaluate whether we should even be a part of that career field any longer. That makes sense? Another thing we must separate from are, of course, sinful places. You say, well, what's a sinful place to you? I'm not going to give you a list of them. I may list several, and then I may leave yours out, and you'll think yours is okay. I, I don't want you to do, I don't, I don't want to do that anyway. You follow the leadership of the Lord. He'll let you know whether it's sinful or not. You see, the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that takes up residence in your heart and your life, He has feelings. And the Bible says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're going places you shouldn't be going, the Holy Spirit will let you know that. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. But we need to be aware of some of the places we go. We need to be aware of some of the practices that we're involved in. Why should we separate? Because the Lord demands it. Because our influence depends on it. So that we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Our power depends on it great biblical example of separation we find in Judges chapter number 16. You remember Samson, the story there? How he'd taken this Nazarite vow that he was never going to shave his head. And while he did not shave his head or cut any of his hair, and it was completely long and it was a Nazarite vow that they took. While he had his hair, he had God's blessing and God's power. He laid his, lap in Del- or laid his head in the lap of Delilah and she kept on, where do you get your power? Where do you get your strength? Finally, he told her after teasing her several different times, he finally told her while he was asleep, they cut his hair off. You know the rest of the story. He lost his blessing, lost his power, lost his influence. I wonder how many Christians today lose their power, lose their influence simply because we don't practice the doctrine of biblical separation. But how do we separate quickly? We yield ourselves to the Lord. We fill our lives with God's word. You see, not only do we separate ourselves from something, we separate ourselves to something. And we separate ourselves to the word of God. We separate ourselves to the leadership of the Lord. And I promise you, you can't do it by yourself. There's no way in the world you can. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life can you separate yourself from some of the sinful things of the world. Okay? So I hope and pray I didn't come off judgmental. I'm trying not to do that. I think, I think the doctrine of separation is abused somewhat in that, in that sense. But you follow the leadership of the Lord in your life. And Paul is saying, listen, you can't have fellowship at the table with demons and the table with God. You've got to choose who you're going to serve. And I'd rather you just not serve the table of the demons and 
sit at the table of God and sanctify yourself, separate yourself, okay? So you take that, you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life about whatever there is involved in your life, and, and let's, let's practice this, this wonderful doctrine of separation. And when we do start practicing that, I promise you, you're going to see the blessings of God just start falling on your life and the power of God and the influence that you're going to have. Your life will be changed. But as long as we're straddling the fence, it's going to be tough. We just got to make some clean cuts and live for God, separate ourselves. For the, for the work of the Lord, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together to study your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take uh, some of the words that I've shared this morning and, and pierce our heart and lead and guide and direct us in the ways that you'd have us to go. We ask your blessings on our worship service today and on each one that's here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.